Hello and welcome to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson, your host, and joining me is Dr. Peter Bernstein. Today we will continue in our series on how to survive through adversity. Dr. Bernstein, Peter, as he likes to be called, is a coach and mentor with 49 years of experience helping people survive and grow through trauma, struggles, and hard times, the stuff of real life. The goal of our series is to help you discover what we've experienced, that adversity is more than a trial to endure. It can be an exciting opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive. Mm-hmm. Boy, that sounds really encouraging. I hope hopeful. so. It does. Sounds really good. I guess we're on now, right? We're on. We're on. Okay. <laughs> I better be on myself. We're on. Um, I'm listening to Jenny. It always is an uplifting because she loves doing this, and so do I. Every week that we do this, we draw from our own experiences over the week and how to apply. We're giving you some pretty foundational wisdom of what we do. I want you to read the um, title of this episode, though, because I think that's a really important part of today. So our title is Caregiving, A Tough Journey to Inner Meaning and Purpose, or... How to become the person you're meant to be. Yep. And I will just add that 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 is something that I think everyone can relate to, wanting to become the person they're meant to be. Oh, yeah. This is, we have uh, narrowed our focus to caregivers, but we're drawing upon something that pertains to anyone that is facing struggles and adversity and difficulties in life. It's just that the caregivers are really. They're in the trenches. They're in the the real tough part of life that most people would rather not even think about. Sometimes we've called that an extraordinary reality. They live in an. They've chosen to perform and live in an extraordinary reality. Now the caregivers of loved ones, family members. That's not a choice you have, except you're choosing not to run away or burying your head in the sand. And there's plenty of family members in those type of situations. I can tell you. I'll attest to it. Um, I'm not one of them, but I've had enough experience with enough caregiving situations to know that there are members of families that just cannot handle facing the difficulty and adversities and the pain of seeing a loved one go through the the final journey of life, the difficulties of life. And I've seen more, not, a, not every caregiver, but I'll tell you what, a lot of families run into it. We certainly have too, where they just can't face it. And they run the other way, and they find a million different reasons why they can't be there to help. It's tough to face, but I see that happens a lot. So we're talking about something that pertain. what we talked about in episode 30. We're now in episode 35. We're talking about, generally speaking, uh, looking at life situation that is very tough. And... Uh, it's it's not pretty. It's not easy. It's nothing that we would, if if it's family members that would love ones, certainly anything we choose, but it is a very intrinsic part of life. It's a dimension of life that we all face. Um, not an easy thing. No. And I know that it's interesting. One of my neighbors, beloved neighbors, I love them. Um, I better not. I won't mention their names, but um, very uplifting. Uh, particularly a uh, woman. She's a real uplifting woman, a great spirit. 
but uh, there's been a number of sicknesses and dying in the family in the last two years. The last one was just two and a half weeks ago. And she used to tell me, if I ever have to face this, I kill me. Just kill me. I don't want to even look at this. Mm. And boom. She's had three significant losses in the last two years, year and a half. And she did not run away. No, I would, not a chance. She's too strong, and she wouldn't yeah. do that. But when I'd listen to her, I'd go, and I used to tell her, no, there's more to life than, than this. And she'd say, just kill me. I don't want to. Yeah. <laughs> I used to laugh with her, and, well, she's not laughing anymore. No. And there's her husband. And they've handled this thing solid as a rock. They've been there all the way lovingly involved right to the last with their loved ones. Uh, they're left with the burdens of uh, the memorial, the burials, the cleaning up of the apartments and the homes, and they've handled, they've been doing it all without a glitch that I could tell about. Um, their feet are solidly planted in this part of life now. I got to give it to them. They're wonderful this way. I like them this way better personally. They're good f people before, but I really like them and appreciate them. They've now. become maybe, as our title said, more the people they were meant to be. Yeah, they're becoming that. There have been more experiences that I've had now that we're so immersed in this part of life that people talk to me so openly about things that they wouldn't talk to most people about that they're going through or that they've been through and how it's affected them. Uh, how it's affected the families and uh, the tough times that they're facing. And they say it with such a sincerity and an openness to me and uh, such a, a humanity that it just touches me. And I guess I must touch them. Um, but anyway, I've had a lot of that experience. And uh, I'm looking at this and I'm thinking to myself, you know, we're telling, we're helping people go through this. And... Uh, then we're also working with a, a, a group of what I call, they're, they're not really professionals. They need to be become that of caregivers that choose to help others that are sick and are dying. And um, that can be nurses, doctors, social workers, caregivers, psychologists, psych you name it. Um, and the, the more intimate caregivers. That's a, that's a choice that we make. We've made that. I've made that a long time ago. But that's something different. And uh, well, I look at that and I go, you know what? There's so much to be learned from all of this. And I, I don't think most people talk about this, but we're going to. And I'm going through it with my own wife and my own mother. And frankly, no matter how I've been, no matter how much I've known about helping others recover from trauma, I've never had the empathy and the compassion and the heart that I have now. Um, I'm just very touched. I think many people look at uh, the call to be a caregiver, uh, whether it's a, a family member or anyone that they know. Often, uh, without uh, without blame, I, I would I would think that what they see first is a call to be selfless, sacrificial, which is true. It's all true. But that they will just have to kind of hang in there and keep giving and keep giving and keep giving until it's over. Well, and what we're saying is there's uh, more than that there. There's a lot more, but that there's a real difference in attitude too uh, in that one because if you're talking about the grim, you know, gritting your teeth and just hanging in there, uh, that's not it. No. That is not it at all. In fact, that's a real setup for burnout and resentment and negativity. We're talking about 
a relationship that is intrinsically needing nurturing and a loving nourishment that goes on. There's a reciprocation between... There is an exchange. There is an exchange between the person you're helping who's going through a lot and yourself. Most of the people that I know that go through this are what they call empaths, people that are sensitive. They care. Uh, they have a deeper sensitivity about things, and they're more drawn to this. There's no question about it. Not everybody is, um, but these are the folks that are. There's other folks that they personally have a heart for it, but they're so afraid to um, and awkward. And uh, it doesn't mean they couldn't be sensitive and involved, but they choose not to be. They're just petrified and frozen. And I've seen a lot of those folks too. It doesn't mean they're not caring, but they're just stuck in feeling inadequate and frightened. And the fear seems to have such a strong grip on them. To be a caregiver, you have to be fearless and courageous. You have to, everybody, let's be honest, uh, who's involved in this, if you gave a caregiver a choice, we'd all want to run the other way. Let's be honest. We'd all want to get the heck out of there and do something else. But these are the folks that don't run and they engage and they show courage to overcome their fears mm -hmm. and their feelings of inadequacy and the pain of seeing a loved one on the road to, to dying and, and sickness and death. Very natural responses to the situation. It is. It is. And I, I, I know that both you and I, I'm looking at both of us today, and I, I mean, this is a heavy subject. Mm -hmm. um, we're it part is. of that world. Mm -hmm. Do I think we would have chosen that? I don't. The world I chose that was a caregiver as a psychotherapist, psychologist for 49 years, 48 years. That was, I'll be honest with you, I thought I was helping people recover, and I wasn't talking about helping them reach the last part of their life. I was talking about their, helping them recover and live the best life they could. Yes. Well, this is a different... This is a different kind of caregiving. This is a different. And yeah. this is, I'll be honest with you, this is a, a heartfelt calling, um, and so meaningful, and so much more painful. Yes. So there's so much to learn. Uh, from this time in our lives. I'll be honest with you, a lot of what I learned to be as a professional is definitely helping me now um, understand better what's, what's needed and what's called for in hanging in there and being resilient and becoming more resilient and becoming more creative. Even though, even though the difficulties we're facing seem to be deteriorating, I still look at this with some kind of hope doesn't mean I know the ultimate outcomes and after everything's over, but I know there's a hope. Um, I can't always put my finger on it because I can't see it yet, but I know there's hope. And the other thing is I'm always looking for new opportunities to make people's lives more comfortable as their needs come up. And we need to get creative and we need to be willing to grow and learn and be open to new possibilities of helping folks that are in need. So what you're saying now is uh, a little while ago we were, we were talking about caregiving is not a grim hanging on till the end. Not that attitude. You're talking about other attitudes, attitudes of, you've mentioned of maintaining a kind of hope and being willing to learn and grow and get creative. Yeah. I want to qualify it, though. I don't want to sound Pollyannish here. We're talking about a tough road. I don't want to sound like a pie-in-the-sky 
you know, that every day you're able to do it. Esoteric. Just fine. It's yeah. not that, no. because we also have to face the emotions of what we're going through, and the energy that goes that we put out every day is can be exhausting, um, and it is. So I'm not talking about hope. That's oh wow, everything is so wonderful. That's not it. I'm talking about something that's more well grounded. Yeah. I'm talking about knowing that no matter how difficult things go get. There's a hope in knowing that there's going to be something better eventually, that there's, this is going to end eventually, and there's going to be time for renewal, time for uplifting, uh, another phase of life. Even though we can't know the end, that's not in our, that's God, that's in God's hand, not ours. But it knows that we know that eventually we're going to be okay, and there's going to be new possibilities. But we're going to be better from the experience if we do this one right. If we show compassion, if we show that love, selfless love, if we take care of ourselves, and we'll talk about that in a minute, and how to learn to be more resilient, um, to keep going through these difficulties, because we can get tired. And the emotions can be intense, let's be honest. When those emotions come up, boy, do things can begin to happen for us as caregivers. And we talked about that in our last episode, in our last two. Last uh, several, yes. Several. Yeah, yeah. And there was a reason for that, because it happens to all caregivers. Um, we talked about triggering. We talked about pushing the pause button. We talked about um, ways to restore ourselves. We talked about responding versus reacting. Yes. We talked about being passive versus aggressive uh, uh, in our in our in the way that we approach uh our experience of stress well, that's, and triggering. That's right. And, and that, the triggering itself has it's a lot. Think about people who, are, who do this kind of thing. Do you think they come from painless pasts or that they haven't had any trauma in their life or difficulty and they're just going into this as a strict professional? I don't think so. No, you I haven't know met that's not one true. like that. No. And I'm not like that, neither are you. It's people that have had trauma and wounds and damage and pain and hurt in their lives. It's through that that they have a certain empathy, a certain compassion, and a calling to do this kind of thing. They can also come from the cultures that usually have a lot more devastation to them and, 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 and difficulty. And built into these cultures is a an embrace of, of dying, an embrace of sickness, an embrace of the elderly, because it's so pervasive. And it's just, they teach their kids how to respond and how to be part of it. And it's a part of life that's so predominant that they can't get away from it. Um, I think of Fijians, I think of Haitians, I think of Filipinos. There are many. And it's built right into the culture. Their children know more than most Americans on this, about this dimension. But I'll be honest with you, what we've learned they sure don't know a lot about self-care. About self-care. Not That's at right. all. Right. And we have seen more caregivers from these cultures start off with good intentions um, and wind up just suffering, um, burning out, carrying a lot of resentment, doing things that are, to me, aren't acceptable, where they don't start answering phone calls. They, they just start neglect being neglectful. They don't follow up on their commitments anymore. And they may have started just fine. But we're seeing this pattern way too much. We're seeing them turn to alcohol and drugs. Um, 
we're seeing it so much that we realized we better step into this. And that's been our, our, our theme, our goal of the last several uh, podcasts is to talk about how people can develop resilience, the right attitudes, uh, have hope and grow without being a Pollyanna. And so we, we have covered so much in the last few uh, episodes, and today we want to kind of take a moment to step back and, and, and review some things. This is a good point for a break. And, we will, and we will do that yes. after our break. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson, and we are uh, in a, I'm going to review the title because it's a good one. Today our episode is Caregiving, A Tough Journey to Inner Meaning and Purpose, or How to Become the Person You're Meant to Be. It's a good title. And we are kind of revisiting some of the most important points we've been making over the last several episodes. Yeah. Uh, Because we know we've covered a lot, and we know that even the basics always are good to review. That's right. You're reminding me of what we talked about this morning at our staff meeting, and that is when when people are in the midst of it, and we're in the midst of it, Doing caregiving and for loved ones, helping others go through caregiving and, and supporting them, which we do it all. Um, you know what I find? We could do the most beautiful broadcasts. I can't even remember them in the midst of it all. And you know what I'm saying? I, wish I know I... you come in and you have your notes with you and you go, wow, look at what we did. Or you yeah. listen to a podcast with, with Lynn or yeah. with someone you go, who is that? That's really great stuff. It is, it's... And we need the reminders. We need the reminders. And I said, if we need the reminders... So does everybody else. Everybody does. So I think that going over some of the same things over and over again isn't a, for me, it makes sense because the emotional drain and pain of these experiences take the life. It's tough. It robs to us, us of our perspective and it takes, can take, for me, I can take my grounding away. I can kind of feel like I'm losing my footing in what I'm doing. And I need the reminders and the, the compassionate help to go take care of yourself, know that, that this is a hard for everyone, but here's the, the important things to remember and stay with. That's right. Self-care, if you've never learned it, boy, you're learning it by trial by fire now. Um, we're talking about self-care, and we're talking about how important that is. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just thinking uh, about what that means. We've talked about in our past episodes, we've talked about what a caregiver and person needs to be able to pay attention to in themselves. Um, the warning signs. The warning signs. And how to begin to develop like a baseline within themselves that involves their own pain, knowing what their pain feels like, how it affects their, how it has affected them, what their bodies feel like when they're emotional. What does that feel like before, if they don't recognize the emotion, they need to recognize what is their body feeling like right now? Is it in pain? Is your chest tight? Is your throat tight? Are you getting a headache? Does your back hurt? Uh, you know, is your is your heart, the area around your heart and your chest tight? And all of these things are indications 
of uh, what we call armoring. And there was a uh, there was a great psychiatrist, brilliant guy, a little radical, I'd say, but uh, his name was Wilhelm Reich, and he spoke about armoring, and that when we go through traumas and we go through difficulties, our bodies will do things to protect it and protect ourselves, usually in the musculature and the fascia. Um, those things, in other words, if you're heartbroken, interestingly, people will develop. I did a shield of armor, tight chest. They'll uh, they'll get very tight and bull chested and whatever. And underneath, it's just the opposite. It's that they were heartbroken, they were traumatized, and so this was their way of protecting themselves from ever having it happen again, and um, protecting it from, from themselves from even feeling that heartbreak all the time. There's lots of things. If there were people that were grew up and they weren't and they were traumatized and provoked but weren't allowed to cry. What they'll do is they'll swallow it and they'll develop these very tight locked throats mm -hmm. and tight tightness around the eyes, uh, tension in the neck. Uh, there's so many different areas of the body. There's segments of armor that Reich talked about. These are things that we're, they are signs to you that you're just not in physical pain. There's something behind this. You were talking about this this morning and I was just taking notes and you were saying that, that um, armoring produces a kind of a distortion in the body. Definitely. Uh, either it may be a, a buildup or a weakness that uh, that these places in our bodies where there are distortions or effects of armoring can be then sites where we could get injured or get sick. And interesting as a caregiver, I've gotten hurt already. I, you know, I've, I've been in athletic things all my life, competitive things. Sure enough, over a year ago, I got hurt, and I mean, I'm still recovering. And interestingly, the people that were helping me said all caregivers have, they physically are more vulnerable and their recovery rates are much slower. So true. Mm -hmm. um, Jenny's been wounded, um, and hers involved triggerings from her past, so that brought up her There's old... A past injury, yes. Yeah, and that brought up memories and trauma from that. We've had others, we, a fellow that we're helping now, uh, find a caregiver who's got double hernias. There's so many things that begin to happen because we're vulnerable, we're exhausted, we're depleted, we're under such distress. So we have to begin to recognize, well, what would be, and I don't mean normal, but what from based on our traumas, our wounds, our damage, what's kind of normal? And I don't mean normal, quote, for everybody. I mean for me. Yeah. Um, what's the norm? Do I have a tight chest? Do I have a tendency to get a tight neck? Uh, you know, things like that. And knowing myself, that kind of gives me a baseline of who I am. Now, in the middle of caregiving and you're exhausted and you develop what they call compassion fatigue, things begin to, begin to get a little bit more vulnerable and you're tired. And all of a sudden you're feeling things physically that go beyond your norm. And it happens. If you're dealing with someone, remember, you're dealing with a relationship where there's an exchange of energy, too. You're helping someone who's in, in distress in life. Yeah. And here you are, this empathetic person. Well, of course there's an exchange. And you're giving all yourself. You're going to take on some of that negative energy. You can't help it. Um, if you take it on and don't recognize what it is, um, it will begin to accumulate. And it, that's when trouble begins. Uh, that's when we start really losing our perspective, losing our boundaries. And uh, the pain that we're in isn't the norm of who we are. It's, 
It's what we are and all of what we've been taking on, only that we haven't found a way to recognize it or deal with it. And I would say, too, in all of the work that we've done over the years uh, with resilience and, and um, uh, with the VA, with uh, all sorts of other uh, professionals and self-care, uh, this aspect of it has been the least understood, the effect on the body of emotions, triggering, stress. Uh, plenty, you can go to the Internet, you can go many places, and you can read many suggestions for self-care. And very few of them really understand the effect on the body. Absolutely. Uh, there's a book written by uh, psychiatrist Judy Orloff, Orloff called... Uh, Emotional Freedom. Yes. And she talks about it. Mostly hers was geared toward massage therapists and body workers. But she was very tuned in much more tuned in than most about the effects of taking on emotion and uh, what it feels like. And she talked about how important it is for the caregiver, whatever profession that may be, to begin to recognize when they are taking on that energy and what it looks like, what it feels like. Um, She's right. She, I really, that, that's the biology of emotion. Uh, she talked about anger and sadness and grief uh, and fear. And she talked about the, what does that feel like physically? Um, uh, and I, I'll just allude to it very quickly for a minute because it's important to recognize what does fear feel like? What, is it, what does it feel like? The heart beats really fast. We're on hyper alert. We're expecting the worst. Uh, we're just we're just in, just terrified, and we'll get stuck in those places. People who have post traumatic stress don't even come out of that place, and that's where their caregiving usually really flunks, because they can't get, they get out stuck, of that stuck yes. place. Right. Others who get out of it will get triggered when they're exhausted or tired, and boom, you're there. And that happens to everyone. It does. Yeah. Now those folks that aren't even able to get unstuck won't even do the caregiving. They'll be too frightened or too stuck. doesn't mean they don't feel compassion, but they won't do it. They'll find other things to do instead because they're still stuck in those old places and their whole nervous system is locked up. Um, there are ways to get out of it. We've been helping people for many years to recover from that. Um, but it's, it's a tough one. Uh, but that's life. You know, we've got to face our tough things. But when people are triggered, Judy Orloff, when we, she talked about, well, what does anger feel like? It's red hot. It's intense. There's no peace of mind. Uh, there's no comfort level. And you're, it's a fight or flight situation. And you're hot mm-hmm. and aggressive. That tends to be how I am um, when it happens. She also talked about a beautiful thing that I think was, I want to re- uh, uh speak about what she spoke about so beautifully for a minute. And she talked about how to begin to recognize the warning signs of when you've been triggered to that kind of anger and that it can be converted before it turns into anything too serious. She is right. And yes. I know I do it a lot. I'd like to hold that till after our break because I I was really impressed with not only was she focusing on the sensations of anger, the physical sensations, but then what are the physical sensations of Compassion. And that's what I Let's want to do that about. when we get back. Yeah, I want to talk All about right? that. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break.
Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, in our last segment, we began talking about uh, the distress and stress of caregiving and how it can result in uh, body tension, body stress, uh, and the need for self-care. Um, this is kind of something that isn't always really seen or talked about, this, this aspect of the, the wear and tear on the body, the exhaustion, the physical effects. Mm -hmm. And we were just introducing um, Judith Orloff's work on uh, transforming negative emotion into her way of talking through transforming negative emotion into positive. And, it, and let's let's go there next. Okay. And she talked about, well, we just talked about the physiology of anger. There's also a physiology of sadness, too. And uh, sadness is a very, I, I would say the deepest feeling is hopelessness. And like nothing is going to be okay. I'll never be okay. I'll never be worth anything. Um, and there's a, there's a, there's a, a uh, it's a, it's soft, but it's not tender and sweet and nurturing. It's defeated. It's broken. Is that closest to grief? Would you say grief, grief? is more intense? And grief is more. If we're talking about present day grief, that's there is normal grief, and that feels very intense. That involves grief is different. Grief can involve anger and rage. It can involve sadness and sorrow and fear. It involves all of them. All of them. It's okay. much more intense. It's not a clinical state. It's in a life state. Uh, it happens to uh, anyone who grieves. It's very intense. But, um, and there is a biology to that one, all right. In mm -hmm. fact, a lot of people who are grieving do get physically ill. Yeah. Because it takes such a toll on their bodies. A lot of people who are doing caregiving get become physically ill, too. So we know about that. But Judith Orla spoke about something, and she's, I don't, she's not saying this in any religious sense, but she talked about the spirituality of um, changing the spiritual meaning of anger and compassion, how to bring compassion to ourselves and to others. And um, she's right. She's talked about it requires observing this emotion from the top of the mountain instead of its own level. I know what that means. It's a little too esoteric for me. But what she does is she does talk about there is a biology of compassion. Mm -hmm. And it goes so much. It's so consistent with the caregiving relationship the way it should be. It involves nourishment. I was just thinking the word love. that you have used often is it, that it should be a nourishing experience. And it is a nurturing. And there's a softness to it, a tenderness. Uh, it's so loving. And, and it's so infectious. Now, if you're dealing with someone who's facing serious illness and death, it's so important to keep that, that the essence of that relationship in that place. Um, it's a deeply compassionate relationship. Now, for a caregiver to stay there all the time with all the hard work they have to do to take care of a person in, in a helpless state, um, not an easy thing to do. And I, and I want to throw out, too, that we do know of many caregivers who are caring for people who are very hard to care for. They are verbally abusive. They are physically a real challenge to work with. And that is another very hard situation in which to keep the relationship nourishing in any way. That's true. Well, I know plenty of caregivers who do it, but one of the things is they're able to sustain boundaries and not take things personally. If they're dealing with someone who has serious Alzheimer's or dementia, they have an acceptance of this is part of the disease and they don't take it personally, even though they may intuitively 
feel what's going on with the person. They're not taking it personally. Um, they could be cursed at. They can be spit on. They can be given a difficult time and resisted in and re and all kinds of ways. And yet I see folks, yeah, it's a physical challenger, right? But they don't get drawn down by it. They have that acceptance. They have that understanding of the adjustments that have to be made. And they do very well. Here's the thing. Even the best of us, when we get compassionately exhausted and fatigued, begin to lose our boundaries, begin to lose our perspective. And that's when our old damage, our old wounds, and our old pain begin to get triggered. And we come get to the triggered. Side. That's it. There's the triggering. Yep. And guess what happens? We begin to contaminate that nurturing, nourishing, loving relationship yeah. with our own pain, with our own traumas, with our own reactions, not from what's for what's appropriate now, reactions that go along with our old traumas yeah. and we begin to recall we call it reenact them and they can make a mess they can really cause resentments they can cause troubling reactions uh, that make everything much more difficult that happens it's not good it is not good at all when it happens um, but it does happen I want to put it uh, uh, I want to put a little uh, aside but it's not really an aside we work in teams we we have developed the concept of team uh caregiving and it's i just got some endorsements from the hospice fee people that have been working with us and they said they have never seen a more effective teams before and how do how we do this and they, and they said you don't let nothing slips between the cracks and then we tell them well, how we've done this and what we look for and how we support each other and we have different shifts, but on Mondays we sit down and we go over the week with most of the caregivers that can be there and we listen to what's happened. We also take a look at the shape of our caregiving team. If there's somebody not in good shape, we call a spade a spade, not negatively and critically, but we go, there's the weak link. She's hurting. She's exhausted or she's depleted or she's been triggered, not exhausted. And her functioning is contaminating the situation right now. She needs some support. So even though she's usually very strong, capable, and on top of it, right now she's not. So others have to move in and help her until she's back on her feet. We also do things to help our caregivers. We help them get unstuck from the triggers. We help them get rid of that charge of emotion and feeling and energy that came from the past or even what they're carrying from the present, and we clean it out. We have ways and techniques of cleaning it out. Judith Orloff likes to use uh, acupuncture. I happen to go to acupuncture every week. Massage, I happen to go to that every week. But when we, we go for that and um, more cathartic work as well, and that means the kind of work where whatever emotions built up, whatever the content of it, intensity of it, we provide the kind of work for is we call it uh, rec trauma recovery work. And we get people to move through it, to release it, and to discharge that pent-up energy, particularly if they're angry or frightened, and they begin to settle down again. And their nervous systems actually come back to normal self-regulation. It may not last, but at that point, their perspective comes back. They realize that a lot of this emotional material is from their past, and they don't just understand it intellectually. They feel it, and they know where it came from. And we keep people clear. 
And that's a very important part of our teamwork. Not every one of our team members does it, but most do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the others, we find other ways to do that and help them. Yeah. Um, but we find that this is very important. There's other ways. Uh, I like, I'm a, an adrenaline freak, so I like uh, competitive horse work, uh, uh, cutting horse work, and I have a couple of horses. I like car racing, although I'm not racing right now that led sick, but I love doing that. Um, and I don't mean on the public streets. I mean on a racetrack. Um, I work out. Um, I do a number of things. I also take time every week. At the end of a week, if I'm pent up emotionally and I need to have a good cry or I have to get some of that rage out, I do it. But nobody's around. It doesn't hurt anyone. And it's for me to come back to myself, to get to come back to a more settled, peaceful open, receptive place again. We encourage every one of our caregivers to do the same thing. And then we can go back restored and uplifted. And it's almost like we've had a mini vacation because we're clearing out some of this pent-up, built-up, It's such a relief overload. to be able to, to release that. It is. And we call it a toxic overload. And it happens to everybody. But we know how to pay attention to what our bodies feel like. And we know the uh, biology of emotion, and we pay attention to it. So we have a baseline. Each one of us knows who we are, knows the, the damage from our past, the wounds from our past, the distortions in our body and how to, what it feels like. And we also know when we're in trouble, when we've taken on too much of our at work or whether our old stuff is contaminating the present because it's coming up so strong, and we know we've got to take care of it. Everybody takes that responsibility. When it finally they go back to work, they come back with a, an intuitive sense of what's going on as adults with a clear head. Um, they take the responsibility instead of rea- reacting, which is what they were doing when they were contaminating the work, and they become responsive. Um, and it just seems to work and keep people going. I've been doing this for nearly 50 years. And I'm far from finished. In fact, I'm always learning new things. Jenny's been doing this a long time. Many, many people who come to us uh, do this work. We also run groups, and we teach people who are caregivers and who run caregiver support groups. We believe it's serious business. We believe that it's you need serious, good facilitators to deal with serious problems. It's not a lightweight nickel and dime approach. You've got to really know what you're doing. Many organizations um, believe that peer counselors or peer group leaders are the way to go. And I can res- we can respect that in terms of someone who understands and has been there has valuable thing to contribute, but it's not enough just to be no. a peer. You must so. have the skills to help people work through something. Otherwise, you end up just people just kind of venting and, and, they and just yeah they just hemorrhage all over each other and that yeah. goes nowhere. Yeah. In fact, I don't like that kind of work at all. And I've yeah. seen a lot of it, particularly with caregiving associations. Yeah. I've also seen some excellent caregiving groups, especially the Redwood Caregivers Resource Center. Mm-hmm. They do some of the finest work, frontline work, delivering to help caregivers to support them and um, to encourage self-care. They're a remarkably wonderful uh, organization, but I don't think that's the case all over the place. No, you know it isn't. I don't. Um, So I believe in what they're doing. I like what they're doing. We go much further, and we add to what they do and more. Uh, But I like what they do. I've seen others. They're good intentions. They're good people, but they don't know what they're doing. And this, I think caregivers 
deserve and need the best support, the best quality, supportive work that is out there. And we, we're... We're the, committed to that, and we want to get the word out about absolutely. it. Absolutely. That's fact, right. The organization, the nonprofit that endorses and supports this broadcast, Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment, um, is a big proponent of what we're talking about. and supports it, helps caregivers, helps families needing caregiving. Um, we help train uh, caregiving support group facilitators. We, we do a lot of work. But our, and our support is coming from Sonoma Coast Trauma Treatment. Mm-hmm. And they're, they have a great, deep commitment to helping. They do. And they're a very good organization. And we're grateful. Yeah, they're a good organization. You've been listening to the Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma, 103.3 FM. We'll be back after a short break. Welcome back to the Survivor's Guide to Life. I'm your host, Jenny Stevenson. Uh, We spent some time in our last segment talking about, um, we did finish up talking about some of the body sensations from uh, taking on uh, uh, pain and distress in a caregiving situation, but we did move to um, the importance of a team approach, uh, working together with other caregivers uh, for support and encouragement, we talked about the need to to work through discharge, resolve uh, painful emotions that we've picked up from our own history or from the people we care for. Um, we have one more segment today, and I know this morning when we were preparing, you said that you you wanted to do some review, but you also wanted to have a chance to kind of back off a bit and give a big picture look at where we are going, where we've been. I just want to make sure that you've had a chance to do that, and if there's anything that we have kind of left out of the mix today that you wanted to be sure to cover? Well, you know, there's so much we've done. I look at our past notes and past episodes. We've covered a lot of bases. We didn't start off focusing on caregiving. We sp- we started off talking about how to become resilient, how to become uh, through suffering and struggle and difficulties in life that we don't have to, you don't have to be crushed by it. In fact, it can transform people's lives into becoming much better people. And uh, we, we talked about many different aspects of the process of going through difficulties and changes in life. There's a lot of stories of folks that have been through horrible times. And yet through that period of time, it made them reflect and reevaluate their lives in a way. And they begin to come to grips with deciding what's really important in life and what isn't. And uh, one of the things about going through struggle and suffering, um, there's an awful lot of distractions in life and in the world. It's a dog-eat-dog world, let's be honest, very competitive, can be very ruthless, ambitious, driven, not very compassionate, to say the least. Um, unfortunately, that is the truth. But, you know, we've all been caught up in that. Let's and be we honest. we talked about that last episode, too, and about the world. It's yeah. a proponent of the world. Mm-hmm. Here's the thing. We're talking about another aspect, another dimension of life that's much more important. And I would say the, much more, the most generic way of saying it is when you're in the world we're talking about, we're talking to people and we're saying we have, big, we have bigger fish to fry more important things. Our energy's got to go into giving and caring, taking care of ourselves while we're taking care of others. We really can't worry about 
getting richer and and our bills and and uh, uh, ruthlessness and competitiveness that all falls to the wayside and there doesn't mean that life stops that way unfortunately but we're in a different part of it and you begin to look at it it's not a pleasant thing because it's an energy robber for one and it's not a pleasant thing we become very tuned in and all of a sudden you become very economical about your energy and where you want to put it and what's really important in life your priorities begin to get realigned and there's some very interesting stories uh, but when we were talking about transformational resilience, which is a term coined by, it's a book. The Marstons. The Marstons, a very good book. Amma and Stephanie Marston. Very good book. Mm -hmm. um, and they talk about it, and they put the, there's some really touching vignettes of folks that went through some terribly hard times. And those folks give an autobiographical description of what they went through as they're laying in a hospital bed for eight or nine months, uh, not knowing if they're going to live or die or ever walk again. And... They were ambitious people. They had a plan for life of what was going to happen. And in that period of time, they had time to reevaluate what was really important. And interestingly, they came out much more benevolent, much more caring and charitable. And a lot of those ambitious plans fell to the wayside. And they put their energy into caring for others. I would say that is the biggest, most emphatic part of the change. And and if the ambition maybe got kind of transformed into instead a passion for making a difference, for contributing, for um, helping others, as you're saying. That's what it became. That, that drive, that purpose. It changed from an ambition that related more to worldly things to uh, meaning and purpose. And that, that certainly happened to me. And when I look back on it, you could never have told me it was going to happen, nor would I have accepted it at one point in my life. But here I am today doing this. Well, it's, this isn't the life I started in. I started in the business world. I was a stockbroker. I had a construction business, a pretty ruthless, manipulative, lying world back east. And through many different circumstances, here I am today. Here's where I sit after 50, almost, it is 50 years. And it's a much different life that I started. What was really happening, I always cared about people deeply, but I didn't want to show it. And what I went through stripped me down to my very humanity and made me take a real hard look at who I really am, what I really care about, and what I really would like to do. Didn't think I knew how to do it. Didn't think I'd be able to get back to school or anything. In those days, you were surviving. I was surviving. And you wanted to move into a kind of life where you could do more than just survive. That's true. That's, I didn't know any other way right. that, other than surviving. And in New Jersey, I think most of the people I knew, that's the level we all were on. Yeah. Today, it's an interesting part of me because even though I'm a part of the helping professions, I'm an entrepreneur all of these years. Now, I don't mean just for business and money, but I'm a leader. And I look at opportunities. And those survival skills taught me a lot. The difference is I can't fall back into them the way I used to. It's building on them, but it's learning new ways mm -hmm. and morphing them into something much better and meaningful for the present. Do Is that part of me? It'll always be part of me. And I'm not ashamed of it. But the parts that I am ashamed of, I don't want to have come up anymore. I don't want people have said to me, well, are you afraid that when your wife goes, you're going to revert back to the way you used to be? And the answer is I tell them, no, my wife is part of my life and my heart and the changes that have taken place in our 46 years together. And to be honest with you, does Peter still have a tendency towards certain things under certain? Oh, yes. Am I willing to get a check it as quickly as possible? 
Yes. If I do harm to anyone, am I the first one to apologize and to restore relationships? Yes. Yes. Am I also an advocate for people that are being, who are vulnerable and sick, elderly, and seeing them bullied by corporations and things that I've seen? Oh, I have a side to me that has morphed into being a very strong advocate for them. And even though I'm vulnerable, and they're vulnerable, I have an ability to come to the forefront as a warrior very quickly. Not everybody can do that. I had to learn to do that in my survival days. It's still part of me. I'll be frank with you. I'm glad it is. Um, I don't want to see that to happen to anyone. I don't want to see anyone bullied. And people who are elderly and ill and sick, it's not time to exploit them financially and to push them around. It's time to protect them, to nourish them, to nurture them and love them. Uh, and provide for them, not take advantage of them and their families at these very vulnerable times. Unfortunately, I see the world move in. I see corporations taking over hospice. I see corporations taking over assisted living facilities for the elderly. I have seen bullying that's as worldly as anything. And when I see it, that is not my friend. But I don't let it roll over me. I, if I see someone, I step right in. And I will... Definitely pull together a team if I see we need one legally or whatever to protect people who are getting pushed around. I just can't believe people would do that. But the world can be a very heartless place, an exploitive place. So, yes, those things go on. My priorities are different. It's caring for people. It's protecting the underdog. It's helping them and being there for them to give them the strength for myself that they don't have and can't muster themselves. I'll muster it. And I'm a big one, and you know that. Mm -hmm. If we see I difficult situations, and we step right in. And for caregiving, we step right in. There's a lot of ways we do it. That comes from my past, and I'm very pleased about that, to be honest it's with you. It's a way that you have uh, done what many people in the book we were talking about uh, have done. They have uh, taken the best of their history, the skills that they had, uh, and changed them, transformed them, gotten creative, left behind the parts that no longer were of value or were headed in the wrong direction and turned into a new direction, a new purpose, using what they know. That's right. And I frankly have a lot of friends that were like that too, with very bad backgrounds, and they do great work today. You know, we talked about, but there is something, we talked about triggering and how to resolve it. That was our uh, exercise at yeah. the end last week. And I want to mention that because Peter need sometimes to cool out. <laughs> and uh, I'm not going to lie to you because some of those old things come up a little intense sometimes. And thank God Jenny's around with some of my other friends to smooth me over quickly. Okay, well, we got a little time here. Yeah. What do you need to do? Okay, so we're talking about these triggerings can happen. We have we didn't talk about it today, but we've talked about uh, uh, pushing the pause button and setting up, to, cooling things down temporarily. And backing off and reestablishing those boundaries, at least temporarily. Mm -hmm. um, but we do talk about triggering where, once that triggering happens, things move too fast. And one of the things we need to learn to do is to slow ourselves down. And um, we need to take a few breaths. Uh, we got to sometimes leave the room and postpone our reaction <laughs> and I, or have somebody around who can cool you out. Mm -hmm. uh, and if it's really you're in a situation where you could really begin to inflame the situation, you've got to have a part of yourself that's an adult that knows that 
And even though intuitively you've been triggered to certain emotions, you've got to have an adult in you that says, this is not the time or place. And you could really cause damage right now and undermine what you're trying to do. I do have that in me. Mm -hmm. And if I don't, I have Jenny around. I have Mike Thompson last week, a realtor friend of mine who I love, who's also got Sweet a deep man. sense of compassion. Yeah. So put the two of them together. They cooled Peter down, smoothed it over very quickly, and it went, okay. Well, this is a business meeting. And sometimes Peter needs that. Yeah. I do that for so a lot of people. We all do it sometimes. Yes, we but all the more need. often we are able to exercise this kind of this muscle of don't indulge that rage or fear or whatever it is, the better you get at it. That's true. And but also, we're talking about how to start kind of dealing with it when it's happening. And you need to slow down. And it allows you to kind of get unstuck and unfrozen mentally and physically and then you consider what's the smarter thing to do mm -hmm. and then look at your options and then your adult way begins to start coming into uh, uh, a little more objective yeah. a little more adult a little more um you know the the what needs to happen now and to shake off some of the tension yeah because it's a very tense thing to become like that yep. Um, yep. the other one is to become once you're triggered you know you're it takes you out of the present the here and now you need to come back into the here and now. Yeah. Um, you got to kind of give your conscious mind a chance to get back into gear and engage because when you've been triggered, mm -hmm. your conscious present mind isn't at work. It's your unconscious. It's your repressed consciousness. That takes over, and, and you're you don't not, want that. And you're no longer with the people in the present who are around you. No. Uh, you've lost track of them and uh, what they need right now as well as yourself. That's right. So you don't want to let that to happen. You want your present conscious mind to take over and be appropriate, tell you what's appropriate. Um, uh, there's many other things to do. One of them was, uh, let's see. Let's well, see. You, you, we, we went through this last, last time. You said uh, the other things we talked about is being responsible and self-accountable. You've already kind of talked about that. But remember this last one here that if you get triggered by something, you have an underlying need for self-care. Absolutely. And I know when, when we talked about this, this was something we just wouldn't want to lose, have, have no. people lose track of. And what, if something's hanging around unresolved and bothering you, and that's going to add to your stress load. This is a good time when you slow down to take an opportunity to stop and take care of yourself physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. We totally believe that's so critically important. It's, so we want to. And one of, if I could add one other thing that uh, we, we, I think we may have skipped over. The other thing is all of this we do without judging ourselves. Well, you're talking about responding rather than reacting. Yeah, but yes, we Aren't don't you? judge ourselves for being triggered. No. We don't judge ourselves for losing track of the present, for having all these things happen. If we're going to condemn ourselves for what's happened, we can't recover. That's right. What you want to do is hold yourself accountable, though. Right. And not just dump all over everybody or tear yourself apart. No, I'm not talking about that. That's right. I'm, I'm talking about not trashing yourself because that's you right. have screwed up again. Yeah, don't that. do that. And, it is, and you know what? I found, you know, when you make a mistake, you can always apologize. I do. And fortunately, I don't have to do it too often. But when I make a big mistake, I apologize. It works out fine. It works Most out well. Most of the time. Most works of the time. out very well. Yes. And I learn from it. We all have to learn from our mistakes. And that's a great place to grow. Um, this, interestingly, I, I think I mentioned this last night. But if you get stuck when you're triggered, this is an interesting thing, a real quick thing to 
to try doing the opposite of what you just would love to do. Oh, yeah. Now, this one, one for me, I know what I just love to do at times, and it's not good. And it comes right off the streets of Newark, New Jersey, and that doesn't fit our life today. So it's kind of doing something different from your old reaction. And um, maybe things will work out better if I do it differently. And so you experiment with some new and different things, and it works out better. Mm -hmm. And the other one is put yourself in the place of these other people. Yeah. Try to imagine what it's like for them and what their perspective is like. And it may help you shift your uh, frame of reference to understanding and being a little bit more compassionate. That's a hard one, but it really can help. Mm -hmm. There's a lot for us to talk about. We're coming to the end of this episode today. It's interesting how I prepare for these, let it go, think how am I going to, what am I going to come up with? And here we can, we can go on and on. Um, but I would love to hear from all of you. It would mean a lot to us. So we're wrapping up. Okay, folks, okay. we're going to be back next week. Okay. Thank you. You've been listening to The Survivor's Guide to Life on KPCA Petaluma 103.3 FM. I'm Jenny Stevenson. Uh, as Peter said, our website is thesurvivorsguidetolife.com. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for listening. <laughs>